Well, hello and welcome to Bible Prophecy for today. This channel is where I discuss controversial topics and news headlines that you're not going to hear about in the mainstream media. And I do it all from a West Texans biblical point of view. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bible Prophecy for today. My name is Heather and today we're going to continue um, our study of uh, the Great Tribulation um, from the book of Revelation out of the Bible. So today heaven is exalting over Babylon and um, of course who is in heaven? Who who are the people that are in heaven uh, that are exalting over the fall of Babylon, um, as we'll read in chapter 19. And uh, what happens to Satan? Hmm, interesting. And uh, where does the beast and the false prophet actually end up? So um, these are good things, good, good questions to ask, especially if you're not a Christian or you've never read the book of Revelation. You really don't know what happens. And the people think that Satan is this overlord over hell and all of these things. They got another thing coming. They're going to be um, a little surprised to find out what really happens to Satan. So let's jump in the book and let's get reading. So I'm going to read this out of uh, the New King James Version. And uh, if you guys hear background noise, I'm really sorry. I had to go back to the uh, the snowball ice while I'm looking for another mic. I'm probably going to go with the road, road mic or something. But anyway, um, I got a little squirt here, my sidekick, my little chihuahua. And today we have his girlfriend, little honey bunny. And so he is super excited. So if you guys hear anything in the background, it's these two. Um, little cute couple here messing around. And so right now she's snoring. So if you hear the snoring, I'm sorry. So anyway, let's get started. So heaven exalts over Babylon. So I'm going to break this up into, into pieces. Okay. So, uh, chapter one or, uh, chapter 19, verse one says, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord, our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the, tw and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those of him, and those who fear him, both small and great. And so we're going to end, we're going to stop right there. That is one through five from the uh, chapter 19. And so let's break that down. Uh, so this is from the David, Dar uh, David Jeremiah study Bible. And so the first praise is the response to the angel's command, which is back in uh, verse 18, uh, uh, verse 20 and we'll read that really quick here so verse 18 and 20 says rejoice over her O heaven and you holy apostles and prophets for god has avenged you on her so that was 1820 right and so here it is this is what's going on now and so um so the lord's judgment of the great harlot in destroying babylon christ has avenged the blood 
of his servants. And so uh, verses two and three says the punishment of sinners is a cause of praise for God's people. Uh, Up until this time, the redeemed have been delivered from the power and penalty of sin. But now through God's righteous judgments, they are delivered from the very presence of sin. And how wonderful is that? So that's from um, David Jeremiah study Bible. Um, in his notes. And so we'll go ahead and uh, finish chapters um, 19, 5, and 6. So um, this uh, final shout of praise comes from the whole host of the redeemed. And he goes, at this moment, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 11. So yes, it is this is time. This is when everything comes together, right? And it is super, super exciting. And so if we want to go back and I want to check out some notes from Warren Wearsby. So the Warren Wearsby study Bible uh, tells us this. So he, he says the, the song emphasizes God's attributes, which is the proper way to honor him. We do not rejoice at the sinfulness of Babylon or even the greatness of Babylon's fall. We rejoice that God is just and true and that he is glorified by his holy judgments. So verse one, he breaks down and he says, when Babylon fell on the earth, the command had been given in heaven, which was back in 1820, rejoice over her. And uh, what we read in this section is heaven's response to that command. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And he goes on to say in verse verses five through six, God has been reigning on the throne of heaven, but he is here about to conquer the thrones of earth as well as the kingdom of Satan and the beast. In his sovereignty, he has permitted evil human beings um, and uh, evil angels to do their worst. But the time has come for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's go ahead and read verses five through six. So five and six, um, we just read, which was praise our God, all you um, his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Verse six says, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of a mighty thundering saying, Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so verse nine continues and he says, then he said to me, this is the angel talking to the apostle John. And he says, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I, and this is John. John says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But the angel said, he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am a fellow. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so let's break this down even more. So verses seven and eight, uh, this is from the notes of David Jeremiah. And he says the time for the marriage of the bridegroom has come. The marriage occurs after the judgment seat of Christ, which is first Corinthians chapter three, verses 11 through 14. And before the second coming, which is chapter 19, verse eight, which is what we're reading right now, the saints must stand before Christ and have their works or righteous acts tested before they are ready to be presented to him as his bride and chapter uh, 19 verse 9 and 10 says 
this is when we get into the supper of the lamb. So this meal is different from the marriage of the lamb for the meal takes place on earth after the second coming and definitely involves Israel. You can read about that in Matthew uh, chapter 22 verses 1 through 14, chapter 25 verse 1 through 13 and Luke chapter 14 verse 16 through 24. The center of attraction will again be Jesus Christ. The bridegroom John lists four distinct personages at that feast. The bridegroom, who is Christ, the bride, who which is the church, and the companions of the bride and the companions of the bridegroom. The latter two probably refers to Israel. The marriage feast will be the longest in history, for it will last a period of a thousand years. It goes on in verse 9 says, This is the first of two suppers in this chapter. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a time of joy that follows the wedding. The supper of the great God, uh, chapter 19, verse 17, is a time of judgment that follows the battle of Armageddon, which we'll get to that. So, and on the other side over here, if you, the Warren Wearsby study Bible, he breaks it down like this. So he says, verses 7 through 10, the bride is the church which is, of course, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And the bridegroom of Jesus Christ, which is the Lamb. We can look at that at John chapter 3, verse 29. At a wedding, the focus usually is on the bride, but in this case, it's on the bridegroom. So as you can tell, we talk about the Lord Jesus. So uh, his uh, chapter uh, 19, verse 7 says, At the judgment seat of Christ, the church's works... Um, will be judged and her spots and blemishes removed. This being completed, the church will be ready to return to earth with her bridegroom at the close of the tribulation to reign with him in glory. And you can see all about that in Luke chapter 13, verse 29. Some students believe that the entire kingdom age will be the marriage supper. So that's, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about as well. And so also here are some notes um, I have from the apologetics Bible. So this is the old Holman Christian Standard Bible, uh, the very older one, which I don't, I do not like the CSB, their newer translation. I don't like it, don't like it at all. So I do like the old one. This is the Apologetics um, Study Bible, and you can still find it on eBay and places like that. You'll have to go online to find it. It is out of print. But you can find it. I found this one on eBay uh, from a sweet lady in Oklahoma. Actually, about two or three of them. So whenever I find them, I try to get them so that I can, you know, possibly give them away. So anyway, um, he, this is how they break it down. So we're looking at chapter 19, verse 7 to 9. It says, the praise of the heavenly choir now turns to the marriage of the Lamb. His bride's garb is fine linen, bright and pure, which is interpreted as the righteous acts of the saints, clearly in contrast to the gross sins of Babylon. And it appears that this is a change in imagery for from the vast multitude of heaven dwellers being a choir uh, to being the bride of the lamb. The fourth blessing statement of the book, verse nine has a twist. So it says, or uh, they say by accepting the invitation to the marriage supper, one becomes part of the bride, which is, you know, where are the church? You're part of the church as we all look at that. So we're going to go ahead and read. So chapter 19 uh, um, verses 10 so when we read about that, that was then I fell at his feet to worship him. Um, but he said, uh, don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers um, who had the testimony about Jesus. Worship God because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when I read the apologetics Bible, so the apologetics Bible breaks it down to like um, they tell you the true. So like when people try to come after you and say, oh, the Bible's not true or like whatever. Well, the apologetics Bible is to 
um, stand up for the truth and, and to show you why you know, it tells you why. So anyway, uh, then verse 10 or 19, 10 says it is sinful to worship any being other than the one true God. That's Exodus 20 verses four through seven. Besides false gods, many cults and even personality cults, i.e. they say groups who elevate gifted human leaders to almost godlike status um, are often guilty on this front. And so it breaks down um, chapters uh, 19, 11 through 16. Let's go ahead and read that. So the rider on the white horse. So then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. His rider is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies. Uh, that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen from his mouth came a sharp sword so that with it he might strike the nations he will shepherd them with an iron uh, scepter he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of god the almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords and so that is 11 through 16 that is from the holman christian standard bible old school not the new one <laughs> so they break it down and they say this passage portrays the physical second coming prophesied in acts 1 verses 9 through 11. the full preterist uh view claiming that christ already came in spirit and power in the judgment of jerusalem back in ad 70 and that there is no future second advent is false uh the unraveled the unrivaled power of god's word is pictured as a sharp sword coming out of the lord's mouth that's hebrews uh, chapter 4 12. since the armies with the lord are wearing pure white linen it is likely that this is another image for the same group elsewhere called the vast multitude the heaven dwellers and the bride of the lamb so that's a good way to look at that uh, if you know preterists they think um they think that revelation all this stuff took back back in 8070 which clearly scripture says is not true <laughs> but anyway they don't sometimes they are like a cult and they don't want to listen to anything but anyway moving right along here so out of the um david jeremiah study bible so this is where he uh, this, the notes that he has on verses 11 through 16, he says, all nations are gathered for a final assault against God and his people. So remember, Satan has brought all the nations and the kings and all these mighty men, right? They think they're going to make war with God. They think they're going to win because he has deceived the world, right? Deceived all these people. And so they deceived them into taking the mark of the beast. And they, you know what I mean? And so they've brought all these people, right? And so he says, but the outcome of the battle is not in doubt. Jesus Christ, the slain lamb in Revelation uh, chapter 5, now appears as the mighty warrior, as a mighty warrior. Um, the battle is unlike any other in history. No fighting takes place, but there are casualties. Christ simply comes down and with his word out of his mouth, a sword, that's his word, slays his enemies. His army follows him, but they never need to live to hand for the battle is over before it begins. And you can read about that in Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And who follows him on white horses? We do. The church, the believers. So we are raptured. So and all of us have died. We all come back with Christ on white horses. And we're all wearing white linen, crisp and clean. And how amazing is that? How amazing is that going to be? That is going to be so amazing. 
Uh, and so anyway, verses um, uh, 14 says, the Lord will return with the army that will rule with him once the victory is won. And so, of course, it is. So verses 11 through 13, he says, um, these three names describe the entire ministry of Jesus. The first name is faithful and true, known only to God, indicates his intimacy and oneness with the Father and thus his eternal existence. The second name, which is the word of God, refers back to Jesus's incarnation when the word became flesh. And you can read about that in John chapter one, verse 14. When he walked as a man on the earth and revealed God to the human race, the third name, the majestic and towering King of King and Lord of Lords is the title Christ will have at his second coming, designating his role as a sovereign ruler of the earth in verse 14 says the Lord will return with an army that will rule with him once the victory is won. So 15 and 16 Christ's second coming will execute judgment on those who have denied him. Uh, Jesus will strike the nations with a, with a word symbolized by his, um, his triceane sword, uh, sword, sorry, shaped like a tongue. His scepter will be an iron shepherd's rod, a symbol of his uh, absolute righteous reign. His robe symbolizes majesty and the thigh symbolizes power. So one question that Revelation answers is, who is the king? Every king and Lord will bow when Jesus returns to put down the rebellion, which is Philippians 2, 9 to 11. He will be the supreme and sole ruler of the earth, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 7. So then we get into the 17, uh, let's see, chapter 19, verses 17 to 18. So this is when it talks about the beast and his armies are defeated. So, folks, it gets exciting. Revelation is, is super, super exciting. Um, but um, right here, if we go back to the Warren Wearsby, uh, I like to read his um, his interpretation, which is 1915. He says the sharp the sharp sword is a symbol of God's word, which of course is the first one. You can see that in Re uh, Revelation chapter one verse 16, in Ephesians 6:17, and Hebrews 4:12. This is in keeping with the fact that Christ will consume the enemy with the breath of his mouth. That's Second Thessalonians chapter two verse eight, and you can also see Isaiah 11:4. For he says we have met with the rod of iron before revelation 2 27 and 12 5 a symbol of his justice as he rules over the earth the image of the wine press must be associated with a judgment at armageddon chapters 14 and 14 or revelation 14 14 through 20 and also isaiah 63 verses 1 to 6 so christ's most important name is king of kings and lord of lords this is his victorious name and so that's back in chapter 17 14 and of course uh, and it brings to mind the references such as Deuteronomy 10, 17 and Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. Paul used the same title for our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy 6, 15. So it kind of goes deeper, right? And so you need a study Bible, um, not only to help you understand the verses, but to also bring it into context, into the whole context of the Bible, right? As you can tell by the verses that I'm given that they give us here, it takes you all through the Bible and all these things that are mentioned. So it's it's a, the, the Word of God is living and active. It is absolutely amazing. You can get something from it each time you read it. So it's amazing. That's why it's so amazing. That's why it's called the living and active Word of God. And so let's continue. 
So the beast and his armies defeated. So I'm going to read this out of the King James Version. So then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Woo! That is power packed right there. I probably don't need to break all that down for you but let's just see what the Dr. David Jeremiah has to say. So the word translated birds is found only three times in the Bible, and it's all here in the book of Revelation. In the Greek, it designates a scavenger bird. So in John's vision, um, the angel is uh, beckoning all the vultures um, of the earth to Armageddon to the supper of the great God. And there they're going to feast upon all the corpses of all the enemies of God. And it says here um, in verse 19, it says, Here are those who have gathered themselves together to make war against Christ under the leadership of the beast and the false prophet. They've deceived all these people, right, that they can actually win against Almighty God. That's what they've done. So could there be anything more futile than creatures trying to fight against their creator? Yet even this futility is not beyond the hearts that are turned away from God. So the beast and the false prophet are captured and cast alive into the lake of fire. Both are still in that location after a thousand years when the first member of the unholy trinity, Satan, joins them in verses chapter 20, verse 10. So the remaining members of the beast army are killed by the conquering Christ and sent to Hades to await the judgment before the great white throne judgment which comes later in the next chapter in that day those who are cast alive into the lake of fire will burn forever and will know all the torture of the fire without any relief forever and ever people so hell is forever if anybody ever tells you that it's not you can just tell them you need to read your bible you need to open up that bible there's no annihilation there's no no it's not like oh you just end it and that's it no it's tortured forever and ever. So let's continue here. So Warren Wiersbe says the word translated flesh, sometimes translated bodies, occurs six times in this paragraph, while John's immediate reference is to the human body eaten by the vultures. A deeper meaning here, it says, could be humans fail because they are flesh and rely on flesh. The Bible has nothing good to say about fallen human uh, nature. So that's another interpretation of that uh, verse 17 and 18. So yeah, you can always check out um, different verses, different contexts. It's always nice to 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 check that out because you don't want to just rely on one. You know, even if you don't agree with it, you know, you always want to read it and then kind of see where they're coming from, right? And that way you can make your own decision after prayer. Like, hey, do, should I agree with this or not, right? So here we go back um, in Revelation uh, chapter 19, verses 17 uh through uh 19 and 21 says the great armies of the earth assembled to make war against the lamb apparently 
at Armageddon, which is chapter 16, 12, 14, and uh, 16. This is from the Holman Christian Standard Apologetics Bible. And end up being slaughtered by a word out of Christ's mouth and are fed to the birds at the great supper of God. This is the beast and the fallen prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. That means that they were not destroyed. It will suffer conscious torment forever. So see... When people tell you that, you know, you die, you're just annihilated like you you were never here. No. Oh, no. You will suffer either eternal torment in hell forever or you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. So, make your choice here on earth. But I tell you what, you better make it count because when you take your last breath here on earth, let me tell you, you, you nobody can pray you out of hell and they sure can't pay you out of hell. I don't care what anybody tells you. There is no purgatory. I don't care. I don't care what anybody tells you. Um, you read your Bible. You read your Bible. You read it for yourself. That's why God gave it to us. You can, many men died horrific deaths to bring you the written word of God or the Catholic Church didn't want you to have it. So think about that. Be very prayerful. And the most important thing that I own is my Bible's. That, that's the most important thing. I could live without, I could not live without my, I could not live without the word of God. I tell you right there, I just couldn't do it. Um, and so you have to have a love for his word. And, um, you know, it's like the Bible says, I have hid your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So anyway, um, this is where we're at. So the next one is going to be chapter 20. And this is when Satan gets bound uh, and the saints reign with the Messiah and the satanic rebellion is crushed. It's going to talk about the thousand year millennium and what we're going to be doing and all this stuff. It's so exciting. And if I have time this evening, um, I'm going to try to, you know, do a bunch of studying this afternoon and see if I can get that ready to go for this evening. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, if you haven't got a, an apologetics Bible, um, I, I will tell you the old Holman Christian Standard is probably one of my favorite. So you have all kinds of like little articles and that kind of thing through these apologetics Bibles. There are several other very good apologetics uh, Bibles out there as well. Um, so anyway, with that, I'm going to get off here, guys. And um, I hope I hope you guys are enjoying this uh, little short tour um, through the book of Revelation to talk about the coming tribulation. So and with them, I'm going to get off here. Like I always say, guys, get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into you and Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray you all have a blessed day, a God-blessed day. Thank you so much for listening. 